be, I tried to be the person, instead of looking at people and envying them and thinking, I wish I could do that, I wanted to just do it. So I think other people were like, interesting, I have always wanted to quit my job and leave and go to another <laughs> country. And you can. And that resonated with people because whether or not they were currently living it, they realized that it was attainable. And that yeah. like hope, like Hatikva, like the ability to know that you can do something is everything. Welcome to the Sprout Podcast, a show about purpose and passion. I'm your host, Shaked, a journalism student, foodie, bookworm, and plant lover. My passion for journalism is rooted in my curious love for stories, the places they can take us and the people who tell them. Each episode, I interview guests who walk us through their own storybook called Life. Along the journey, they share applicable seeds of wisdom about personal and professional growth. Are you ready to flourish together? This is the Sprout Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Sprout Podcast. I'm your host, Shaked, and wherever you're listening from, I hope you are all there. Is that cheesy? I just, I like that ambiguous mindfulness saying that's like, wherever you go, there you are. So it just came out, wherever you are, I hope you are present and fully in that space. And I hope that you've had a lovely day. If not, I really do hope it gets better. I'm so excited for you to listen to this interview. I think this interview will make your day better. It's just incredible. With the one and only Jess Burke, our interview was the most fun to record. It was just like a never-ending conversation that could have just gone on forever. We talked about everything from how Jess up and quit her job, moved to Mexico, and went viral on Instagram to the actual steps that Jess takes to keep herself authentic and vulnerable on and offline. There was also talk of how to grow your own green onions, adult braces, literally everything. Jess actually wrote the most beautiful caption summarizing our interview, which I must read to you. I have it pulled up here. She wrote, I just had an interview with at Daily Shaked for her newish podcast at Sprout the Podcast. And guess what? Your authentic self at 21 was probably different than your authentic self is at 27. Because mine sure was. We discuss how we stay vulnerable and live intentionally while also asserting boundaries, saying yes and giving yourself permission while also delaying short-term gratification for long-term gratification and having hashtag grit, hashtag Angela Duckworth. How I accidentally quit my job, left the country, and became a microblogger, and how I ended up at Sija. Because your dream job and your perfect job might not exist. It might not be named yet. Ten years ago, I never would have imagined a career in advocacy. And here I am. My two-year at Sija Info anniversary is literally tomorrow. You are responsible for building the world you want to live in, and you must create a life you're in love with. Also, thanks to Shaked for actually being the coolest person. I had the most fun. Hashtag let's grow. Isn't that the most lovely caption and just the kindest shout out at the end? It was just the most energizing interview and I know you guys will feel it too. So let's just hop right into it. Jess Burke, she, her, is an activist who focuses on the hyphenation of queerness and ethno-religion. She has worked extensively with Jewish and queer communities across Canada. She identifies as an observant LGBTQ2 Jew who advocates for sexual-slash-gender wellness, Jewish inclusion, combating anti-Semitism in progressive spaces, intersectional feminism, and digital communications. Jess has served on several national boards and committees and has been the recipient of social justice awards. She loves running grassroots fundraising campaigns. Jess is currently an associate director at CJA, the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs in Community Training, Campus Advocacy, and LGBTQ2 partnerships. Additionally, she has worked as an independent consultant and is formerly the coordinator of the University of Calgary's Multifaith Center, where she developed, strategized, and facilitated intercultural, interreligious programming, support services, events, and dialogues. Jess is also an intercultural startup founder and program director, overseeing operations based between Mexico and Canada. She has lived in Halifax, Toronto, Guadalajara, Mexico, Calgary, Los Angeles, and Israel. She identifies as equal parts Torontonian, Haligonian, and Israeli, currently living in Midtown Toronto with her partner and their dogs, Blanket and Teddy. 
without further ado, let's Jess just Burke. jump right into it because I feel like we have a lot to discuss. But first, we're doing a new segment that I created. Tell me your rose, which is a highlight, a success, a small win, something positive that happened, a thorn, which is a challenge you experienced, something you would do differently in the future. And you don't have to have overcome the challenge. Like you can be going through it. And then a bud, which is something you are looking forward to or something exciting that is coming up. Okay. First of all, I want to say that I love this. Someone that I love very much did this to me when I was in Iceland and said, every day you're going to be very busy. And I was on like a femme hiking trip and um, I was told, I know you're not going to have a lot of time, but at the end of the day, just send me your rose and your thorn and your bud. And interestingly enough, it was actually the first time that I had personally heard of that. And I thought it was a really great recap to do. So I love the exercise. Um, so my highlight is that over the past, since the end of May, beginning of June, I have been working on what initially really were standalone events. Um, and then, you know, I think you don't recognize a theme or a pattern. And we'll discuss that in being intentional and being authentic. Sometimes you can't call something a program or, or a series until you've actually seen it. It's almost like you write your introduction of an essay at the end when you know what it is that you're actually going to speak about. And so I created a series about queer Jewish pride um, to replace a series that I did last year in person. And this one was meant to be virtual and a lot more accessible. And it wasn't until the third event, filming it virtually, that I realized this really is part of something bigger. And what we ended up discovering is that it's a really big way to amplify queer and trans Jewish voices from a deeply rooted Canadian perspective um, and Canadian in every sense of the word. So we have someone who is two-spirit, Mi'kmaq and Jewish, who discusses like this, you know, journey of intersectionality that's so beautiful. And we ended up calling it Shabakasins and Kosher Mi'kmaq. And it was so amazing. And of course, you know, the emergence of the theme and the emergence of the central series really happened in an organic way, which is what I strive for professionally and personally. And the reality is sometimes you do fake it until you make it. Like you do the events, you hear from the people you want to hear from. And at the end of the day, when you're kind of wrapping up, you realize like this is really special and this is actually part of a lot more. And then I guess my other highlight, which is in the same vein, is that I will never be tired of witnessing people's coming out stories. I view it as a huge place of privilege. And a lot of folks have shared like their coming out stories of, of when they came out as gay. Recently, I had um, a black speaking series on my Instagram channel and several of the folks are cutie BIPOC. Um, and they did discuss like coming out and the intersection of, of homophobia and transphobia. Um, but it is a really, really distinct privilege to hear anyone's coming out story. A thorn. Okay, this is a really superficial one. And I thought about other ones. And at the end of the day, I'm going to be real. I got my Invisalign last week and I had to overcome a newfound speech impediment oh and a lisp. So I was recording these pride videos and I did one that's honestly about seven minutes long, which in <laughs> terms of content is like pretty significant. But every 30 seconds I was like, and I had to <laughs> stop. So I remember, and then of course I'm also producing it. So I'm editing myself and I'm just thinking, oh my goodness. Um, so Invisalign and public speaking was a hilarious thorn, but I think I've mostly worked it out. They're in now and I think I sound okay. Oh my God. You sound perfect. It's so funny. Like sometimes I, I'll do like TikToks and I'll voice over them. And I realized when I like voice over things and listen back to it, I've discovered that like TikTok has given me a speech impediment because I get nervous, like listening back. So I'll be like, and then you put in two cups of two cups of water. Like I just like, I don't know. I just like stutter and like all these new things I haven't done. Or you hear like your phone voice. Like when you hear your oh phone gosh. voice, don't let me ever hear that again. That's like what being on a podcast is like. It's like hearing your phone voice all the time. Oh my God. Every time you record. Terrible. And your last one, the bud. So my bud is, I think this is the biggest thing I've been working on. It's been kind of like a 9am to 10pm project daily, but it's like, I love the saying, you will find your purpose. It's in the same place as your love. I love which that. kind of goes, I, yeah, I like it more than the idea of like, get a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life because believe me, we are out here working. But, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but I, I do believe like your purpose and your love intersect. So what I'm really looking forward to, I'm a huge believer in collectives and community and allowing those to kind of emerge naturally, which is what I found with this series. 
So I'm actually really looking forward to the full circle part of it. I'm not an instant gratification person. I'm the, I'm the opposite of that. I'm a long-term gratification person. So I, every time a new segment of this series releases, I'm thrilled, but I'm actually so excited to see like the bud, to see the end when I can look back and see an eight person speaking series of people that are Jewish and black and Jew and Jewish and trans and Israeli born and Mi'kmaq and indigenous and ultra Orthodox Haredi thrice ordained in Jerusalem talking to a reconstructionist lesbian rabbi. Oh I'm God. so excited about the final product. Like we did that. That's I feel like I'm being thinking. like a long-term gratification person. I'm reading the book grit by Angela Duckworth right now. And she talks a lot about like that same idea. She words it differently, but basically she says that people who are the grittiest, which are people that essentially can like wait for long-term gratification, which is so hard and you have to be so patient, but, and it's like easy to just instant gratification all the time. But she talks about how those are the grittiest people. So I love that. I feel like you're gritty. Learning, learning. And we're also going to start when I lived in Calgary, I had a tiny little like shoebox of a place that I was in love with. And we did, um, I realized I was like very far from what I knew of a Jewish community and there are Jews in Calgary, but I didn't know anyone. So I literally like messaged the Facebook group and was like, hi, like, could I please be your friend? And, um, I ended up hosting like interfaith, interreligious queer Shabbat dinners every week, but I didn't have a dining room table big enough to fit more than four people. So we called it the living room series. And there were between, you know, pre COVID times between 12 to 18 people in the living room, or I had to rent tables from a wedding boutique for Passover. So I'm really into space. And now that it's COVID, I'm thinking like I'm lacking community. I think everyone's lacking community. So we're also starting like a queer arts patio session at our house. Oh my gosh. Iconic. You know, you found me on a good week because two weeks ago I was like, this is never going to end. I'm I'm just going to like run every day and cook new recipes and bake banana bread. And that's going to be the extent of like what I hope to achieve during this pandemic um, and then I don't know if it's the weather or like all the inspiration and collaboration, but I feel like I've turned a new leaf. That's amazing. I love that. I, yeah, I feel like that's like the ups and downs of quarantine are where you, it's like are you experiencing that too. Yeah, totally. Mood swinging all the time. Like some days I'm like, I love this. Working from home is so great. Like I I'm wearing like a t-shirt to work. And then the next day I'm like, get me out of here. I need to be in the office. I need to see a human. I want the structure. I want my books. I want my cork board. Like I would just love a cork board. Oh my God. But okay. So I'll say my rose thorn and bud. So my rose is that I started a new job on Monday. I started, thank you. I started my job as advocacy coordinator at Hillel, Ottawa, starting with like the base of COVID. It almost feels like starting from scratch and like starting from nothing because it's a new year and we've never like been in this situation before. So I almost feel like there's so much, I'm like so hopeful about what's to come. Yeah. Really excited. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'm super excited. I feel like there's gonna be a lot of like amazing and chaotic energy and it's gonna like be, it's gonna propel us forward. So I'm really excited for that. And then my thorn was actually, this is what I had to think about because I try so hard to be grateful and not like let negativity in unnecessarily. So I'm like, why do I need to think of something negative. But then I was like, you know what? It's, I should think of something that was a challenge so I can try to improve. So I noticed something I have been trying to do during COVID is limit my phone use and like my Mm -hmm. time on socials and all those things. And this week, like I don't charge my phone in my room. And usually I try to like wake up, like not touch my phone for the first at least 30 minutes. But this week I've literally like opened my eyes and be like, I need to go on my emails. I need to go on my phone. Like, I don't know if it's like the adrenaline of starting a new job or like of this podcast or whatever, but I've just like, I wake up, I open my eyes and I'm like, I need my phone. And I've been like indulging myself. I'll be like, okay, yeah. And I just like go on and like, I feel like you have to give yourself permission. Like if I wanted to do it, I did it. But also I feel like it just impacted my daily routines. I was just kind of like, I don't know. I just feel like that was challenging. So I'm going to try and do better this coming week. And my bad is coming up that I, this podcast is launching a week from now and I'm going to be launching it with three episodes. So it'll be the introductory episode. And then I did one episode on like clarity and then this interview. So I'm really excited to finally put it out into the world. Those are my three. Those are so special. And I want to speak to what you said about like the sense of urgency with starting a new job because we penalize ourselves. We're so mean to ourselves. Like I'm on my phone. 
But I mean, to be honest, I get a lot of creativity from my phone. I get a lot of ideas from my phone. Most of the eight people that are enormously brilliant that are on my speaking series, I found through the internet. Yeah. So I don't necessarily know that like, you know, ditching the cell phone is it, but figuring out what works. I think, yeah, like a balance for sure. Because I almost feel like for me, Instagram, I like love it. It's just like a create, like I love making stories. I just think it's so fun. And like part of me, I'm like, I know that I need to be creative in ways that are like therapeutic beyond the ways that are just for Instagram. But when I'm on there, I do it for myself. Like it's like personal, like, I guess you could call it artistry, like with certain things, like aesthetics, like that's a real art like that's a real thing I believe if I had 11 followers I would still post yeah my breakfast and a flower that I walked a block in the other (laughs) who cares how many people are listening like I'm sharing because I want to put my words into the world like who cares I feel like I have to remind myself of that all of the time because sometimes I'm like does anyone care about my oatmeal recipe and then I'm like you know what I care about my oatmeal recipe so And there's so many benefits to social media. Like I'm doing a, I'm very in opposition of of diet culture, but I'm doing an elimination diet just to assess whether or not I have some food sensitivities, which I think Mm. that I might. And so I'm someone who will be like, well, I get, I guess like if no one knows that I have this, but I decided to post about it. And I read like the psychology behind keeping yourself accountable. And I was like, you know what? Even if no one else does this, I actually do believe that I'm more likely to commit if I share it. Yeah. And so I've shared for no reason other than I believe this maintains my integrity and commitment. Keeps you accountable when other people know. It's like a million accountability buddies that are hot, like eyes are on you. So. And they say tomorrow rarely happens. If you have creativity today, you shouldn't wait. Agreed. Amen. So I feel like we should get into the questions. Yeah. For those are, who are listening and don't know you, Can you just briefly walk us through the story of how you got to where you are today, personally and professionally, all the things? Definitely. I am a queer Jewish person that currently lives in Toronto. My pronouns are she and her, so I am woman identifying. Um, I'm in a lesbian partnership with the love of my life. But it's so interesting to talk about it now because like, this is actually what I prayed for. When I was 14, I needed to come out of the closet. And people don't love to talk about mental health and people don't love to talk about stigma. Um, and my congregation in Toronto last year for Yom Kippur and for High Holidays had this whole like liturgical approach to, to lying and to how many times a day do you say like, oh, I'm fine when you're not okay and et cetera, et cetera. And it was very interesting, but the rabbi who is very progressive and I think he's wonderful actually talked about suicide, which I think was a bit provocative for like the target audience, but I loved it. And it's really hard to say it out loud, but to realize if I had stayed in the closet, I don't think I would not only be where I am today. I think I would have been someone who would have died by suicide. I was Mm. terrified to come out of the closet. I was sure that no one in the whole world would love me. It was this huge sense of agony and anxiety And there's also like the last dinosaur notion that a few different people have spoken about in my speaking series where I didn't think there were gay Jewish people at all. I didn't think that that existed. And so it's so interesting the way we like come to learn and the way we come to explore. And I know we're, we're going to talk about that, but I at 14, like didn't really picture, like I knew like, yes, I would like to graduate high school. Like that was enough. And then in high school, I would have liked to have gone to university. And then in university, I wanted to finish university and everything was so compartmentalized into such small spaces of just getting through and doing the best that you can. So how I came to my professional career is so strange Because if you had asked me at 14, like, are you going to make a living off being queer and Jewish? I don't think I ever would have said yes. I mean, I know everyone says like it gets better, but I really, really believe that. I went as far away as I could at first, which wasn't very far. Actually, it was only one province over. But for me, that was the furthest I could go. I went to school. I loved human rights. I was in the closet about being gay. And I also didn't tell my non-Jewish friends that I was Jewish. I just Mm -hmm. lived my life in a quiet, undisturbing way in order to be accepted and, and to get through. And so I really realized like I'm very Jewish in this space that all of my high holidays are during exam periods. I can't fast on this day. I can't do this on this day. And I thought, well, there's got to be other Jews on this campus. And they're actually like, we're not. <laughs> it was like one of the only campuses. So you come to learn, I guess that was the first time when I thought, well, someone should do something. Like I should advocate. Someone should say, 
you know, it's a little outdated that in 2020, you don't have a calendar that accommodates anybody else. So that like, I guess made me realize that in a secular space, it was not so sad. It was not so secular. It made me evaluate like Christian centric institutions and systemic practices And from there, I ended up working for university institutions. I worked at the University of Calgary in interreligious and interfaith programming. I had to combat a lot of stereotypes. Like people believe that Jews and Muslims aren't friends. Most of my friends are in fact Muslim. (laughs) Um, It was so interesting to learn about all the perceptions that people had of me that I was not privy to. I felt like I was led into this conversation they were, you know, like Jews do this. And I was like, they what? Really? <laughs> so <laughs> it was this whole learning curve and it was accidental. And then, you know, in one space, I realized how Christian centric it was. In another space, I was kind of, it was like an onset to homophobia and transphobia. And at the University of Calgary, there was a lot of anti-Semitism happening in Canada. It was like a big uptick it was 2016. And I realized that I actually believed in myself enough to be able to maybe alleviate some of that or to help the community and I ended up working at CJA, but it was like the most organic turn of events in which in a million years, if you had asked me, like, are you going to be like a professional speaker for being queer and Jewish? Um, I didn't know that a career like this even existed. And also, I don't think it did. I think my job was one thing. And then I came and I think they were like, listen, now it's something else. That's something I think about all the time. The fact that like the career that's perfect for you might not even exist right now, especially with like the digital age. Who would have thought 20 years ago, like dreamt as a child, I want to be an influencer. That's not, that wasn't a thing, right? So many of the jobs that we do today were not, were non-existent. So I feel like there's a lot of hope in that too. But I love something you said right at the beginning when you were explaining that this was like everything you prayed for, living where you are today and doing what you do today. And I think there's so much value in recognizing that we all often like kind of throw away our now, especially I'm like a very futuristic person. I love thinking, oh, one day I'll do this. One day I'll have this house. One day I'll get married to this, whatever. And so today I'm like not living in, I'm not being present because I'm so worked, like caught up into like how I can get to where I want to be. But it's so important to think like, 10 years ago, I prayed for all the things that I have now. Yeah, I I love that. I saw, I have this little app on my phone. It's actually a Christian app, but it has this daily (laughs) reminders. And thus far, none have like crossed the line for me. I really love it. But it'll send you notifications like, you know, like don't give spirit to people who wouldn't give it back to you. Or like you are allowed to say no. Or, and yeah, it said like, some of the things you have now are explicitly what you prayed for. And that one for me has really stuck over the past while. Totally. You obviously have a large following on Instagram. You're an Insta queen. When did you first notice that you had an active following on Instagram? And was that intentional or how did you build on that? Yeah. So it actually was not intentional. I, after graduating from my undergrad, actually picked up, quit my job, which wasn't like a, you know, anything noteworthy to begin with, quit my job, Um, left my relationship and moved to Mexico. And I need you to know that I knew nothing about Mexico. My family are like immigrants. They're like, Canada is the best place in the whole world. So when I was like, I'm going to go live in Mexico, they were like, are you serious? I chose a city that I loved, but my dad was like, it is the organ harvesting capital of the world. And I was like, no big deal. Uh, My organs aren't that good anyway. Like I'm ready to go. So (laughs) I graduated with... um, with someone who is Afro-Caribbean and a woman who is Mexican and they had been there for a year and they invited me to come and to go teach with them. And I always loved the idea of teaching abroad and, you know, everyone at the time was going to Korea. Like I had a lot of friends that had taught in South Korea and I thought I, I really love that culture, like of hospitality and community. And although I didn't know much, I knew that I wanted to go and it was one of those things that couldn't wait. It was urgent. And so I quit absolutely everything and I decided to move, but I knew nothing. I was like, can you buy tampons in Mexico? (laughs) Like I knew very little, really, truly. It was, I had grown up in such like a, like North American and Mexico is in North America. So it's like a terrible way to put it. Such an American centric, I would say Canadian centric space that there was so little I knew about Mexico. And I thought, you know, I don't know how many people speak English. My Spanish wasn't good. 
but I knew I had to do it. And it, it's one of those things that you have to wonder, like, is that you or is that God? Because I knew nothing and thought if I don't go, this will be the biggest mistake of my life. So I don't necessarily believe I actually chose it, <laughs> but I'm like, this is something else. So I went and I posted something one day that just said, quit your job, <laughs> fall in love and travel the world. And I, next to a picture of my passport and I was at the Houston airport, I took the cheapest flight you could take. So I left Halifax and flew to Toronto. I left Toronto and flew to Philadelphia and left Philadelphia and flew to Houston and left Houston and flew to Guadalajara and then took a bus from Guadalajara to Tepic. So it was like the longest, cheapest, most student way you could get there. And I just said, like, I'm moving to Mexico and that, and I went, I, I said I was doing it and I did it. And I think we, I for sure love to have this idea of something that you're going to do and whether or not that manifests or whether you actually do it or whether the time isn't right. And people have legitimate reasons for putting things off, but I said I was going to quit my job and run away to Mexico and I did it. And then a bunch of people from my high school started following me and I went to a pretty large high school. So there were people that I was already connected to. And then I had from like community oriented practices. I had a bunch of friends from other schools. And then in Mexico, I was like very interesting. I lived in a small place. It's a political capital, but it's not somewhere anyone like chooses to go for vacation. It's not well known. Locals go there and people from the state go there. It's landlocked. It's not on the beach. So I was like an anomaly. They were like, who is this like tattooed gay white person who just showed up Who's renting, oh my this gosh. Little, who's renting this little house. And I would go to like the fruit market and like hug the ladies. And like, <laughs> I loved it. So, and I like, I really, I taught myself Spanish by watching Gossip Girl. Like I, I really did it. And so I amassed a big, big following locally. And I started, you know, people would say like, will you come get your hair done here? And I was like, yeah, like, sure. But then like, you know, people from their salon would follow me. And then it was one thing after another. And it really boomed when I went to the first ever pride. It wasn't even a parade. It was literally a protest, which I think is so important because some pride parades are parades, some are marches, some are protests. This was authentically a protest. And I went and like, Three Mexican news stations were there, kind of our equivalent of like global CBC, CTV, in front of the cathedral in Mexico. And at this time, like abortion was not accessible. Gay marriage was not accessible. Like a lot of women's rights were lacking. And they were shocked to see me there. And I spoke. And then that is what like got a lot of followers. And then it was shared in the newspaper. And it got bigger. And then like no one in Mexico knew I was Jewish. And then like I opened up and said that I was Jewish. And then a bunch of people started following that aspect of the journey, like navigating being Jewish in Mexico. And there are Jews in Mexico, but they're very Orthodox and they live in like small communities that I'm not necessarily openly or abundantly welcomed into. And so it was entirely accidental. And then I gained, you know, followers from LA and I would take trips locally and it just amassed from there, but it really wasn't intentional. And at one point I had a lot more and I thought, you know, it was never a strategic objective to get more followers. So I never thought like, should I post this picture to get more or should I curate it more in this way? Or should I write, you know, more pithy comments that are less lengthy or I never did that, but I actually lost a lot of followers when I started talking about Israel more. Wow. And yeah, I used to have 15, like 15,000 and I'm at like 10, 11 now. And I, you know, started posting a lot more about that. And I did lose some followers. People thought, you know, this is too political. Or when I started posting a lot about trans rights, I have a trans sibling-in-law. Mm-hmm. Then that lost some followers. And for the most part, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. You know, some of your, some of the content that I post, I really wonder, like, is someone at work going to think this is strange? And it's interesting to look at the, I guess, the root of how followers originate. Because Instagram stories weren't a thing when I started mm-hmm. Instagramming. Right. And now... Instagram stories help because it keeps you like up in the algorithm and relevant. But the most amazing feature I think now is that you can take someone's post that resonates with you and share that to your story and add your commentary. And that Mm -hmm. for me has been like the most wonderful relationship building technique. That's so cool. That's so, yeah, it's such a like strange story. And I definitely think I agree. Like if people like I, find every time I post something slightly like political, like, uh, like obviously I, it doesn't even compare to the following you have, but it's like a couple of people. And I'm like, I see you and I hear you and I don't care. Like, yeah, welcome. I'm like, going to do this anyway. Yeah. Like I don't, this, if you don't like what I believe, if you don't align with my values, then you probably shouldn't be following me. Like 
there's a million totally. other people you can follow, like whatever. So yeah, I tried I, to be, I tried to be the person instead of looking at people and envying them and thinking, I wish I could do that. I wanted to just do it. So I think other people were like, interesting. I have always wanted to quit my job and leave and go to another <laughs> country. And you can like a hundred percent. So I shared like, this is what you need to know. This is how I would do it. Like the three mm-hmm. absolute must haves, like my trick to travel hacking and traveling on the weekends while being a full-time teacher and needing to get back by Sunday at 5 p.m. And that resonated with people because whether or not they were currently living it, they realized that it was attainable. And that yeah. like hope, like Hatikva, like the ability to know that you can do something is everything. That's amazing. Question, personal question. I'm just curious. Do you ever think like, are people at work going to see this? Like, is this appropriate to post? Like, does that go through your mind? So it's so interesting. We have a policy and it's so hilarious because I actually do hope people at work re- hear this because I don't fully understand what our policy is. I know that, you know, your social media is your social media, but at the same time, like if you Google me, like my cell phone number is like just public information at this point because I don't have like two cell phones. I'm very accessible online and I've done that specifically. Like I don't have a LinkedIn account. Like you can really LinkedIn is just a polished Facebook. You can go ahead and just find my unpolished Facebook. I'm cool with it. It's fine. And so we do have a policy, but it's mostly that you can't entirely divorce the organization, but I don't want to. And the reason that's important to me is because I went through this weird stigma of, you know, showing up in spaces and people have a perception of CJ that isn't my perception of CJ. And people would go, oh, wow. Like, you know, I thought it was a lot more conservative. I thought it was a lot more right leaning. And people would say, you know, "Do do they let you like do this? I'm like, you know what? Like they actually pay me. Like, believe it or not. I literally work here and people are so surprised by that. And it actually does go to the fact that like perception is reality, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes I post things online where I'm like, ugh, worked until 11 PM. And I'm like, yeah, maybe someone will see it and be like, well then don't work until 11 PM. But I'm like, should I be sharing like a private teams conversation? Maybe not, but I was sharing it for the purpose of saying my work environment is so supportive that I like, I hope that your work environment's like this. And if not, maybe find Mm -hmm. a new work environment. Yeah, I definitely feel like our social footprint, if you could call it that, is like going into the future. Everyone has one. Like everyone is socially in like active on social media. So I feel like the majority of people, they're all online. So really it can't, it shouldn't be like hindering your professionalism because yeah. everyone's doing it. <laughs> and I actually think a lot of people, like I didn't even think this, but one time I had a meeting with one of with, with our CEO actually. And my boss was like, mentioned to him about like what you've been doing on Instagram. And I was like, what have I been doing on Instagram? And she said like, you know, just you're posting and you're talking about our programs and you're, I'm like, yeah, like, believe it or not. Like, I believe in this. Like I, I'm here, I'm living it, I'm doing it. And I never realized that organizationally that might've been an asset. I definitely love it in my life, but it really is like the fact that I'm working for something that I believe in. And so when I share it, it's not like in a, I love the influencers that you know are sharing stuff because they believe in it and not because it was a mm-hmm. paid ad. Yeah. And so even with any of my content, like I try and keep that mentality. Obviously we know each other IRL in real life. Yes. And like whenever I am seeing you on social media, it's always like, I mean, as far as I can attest, the real Jess, like what you see is what you get through and through. And I feel like that's really important. So like, what does being real or authentic on social media mean to you? And what's kind of the intention behind that? Yeah, I love this question because I, for the longest time, saw people's like gorgeous photos, like, you know, in Jordan and you see people's photos. And I'm like, listen, I know that you went at 530 in the morning because that is the only time of day when there are not bus loads of tourists. I love Petra. I love archaeology. I love a good Instagram picture. I am not waking up at 5.30 in the morning to go be pictured at the site to look like I'm the only one here. And it's like this elite experience where there's no one else. I, I don't know. For some reason, I just feel like I'd rather what is real and what is true. So I think like really beautiful, polished photos of like the Rockies are nice. But I also love like the pictures where you see someone like hiking up the hill, like sweating and they're like, and you're like, they're, they're doing it. Like, I just feel like there's something so real about it on social media. I could post pictures where like, you know, I, I mean, I really do do fluctuate. I have photos where I'm in full makeup, my hair's done and I look wonderful. And then I have photos where like I have my Invisalign in and my eyebrows like haven't been done in three months. And I, you know, have brushed my hair, but have not like straightened it or done anything else to it. And I'm like, both of them are me. 
And I like that both of these are me. And I feel like authenticity goes both ways. There are all the people who, you know, it's like, oh, you wear makeup in every single one of your photos. But then I almost feel like if I'm someone who doesn't wear makeup, which I don't, then I almost feel like that's who I am. And I'm not allowed to wear makeup on social media now. Mm. So if I sign on and I'm all done up, it's like, oh, well, what, why did you do this? That's not who you are. You're the no makeup person. And I'm like, interestingly enough, I can actually do both of these things. So that authenticity in terms of not being binary or black and white in anything, sometimes I'm like posting like daily walks and inspiring and saying, I walked a hundred kilometers this month. If you asked me at the beginning of the month, how many kilometers I think I would walk, I didn't know that hundred kilometers existed. I definitely wouldn't have predicted that, but I did it. And then I'll be like, I haven't gone walking in five days, or I will post like a picture of a food and say, you know, I ate three tomatoes today because I was too busy to try and figure out something better. And some days I'll make this super elaborate. I made these like stuffed zucchini blossoms with vegan ricotta cashew cheese the other day. Like some days I have time to do that. Some days I don't. So something about that, I almost feel like it's a little bit childish in the best way to be your true self. Like in that way where children just say anything or say what they (laughs) feel. And I feel like reclaiming the word childish, like, oh, that's childish. I feel like there's such a beautiful, like sacred entry point to discuss like what it is when you're not filtering yourself, like whether that's legitimate or not. And at the same time, sometimes if I want to share a picture of the cottage, then, you know, it is brightened and the saturation's up. And I wanted to show you how bright the sun was and how green the grass was. And I think it's okay if it's a filtered picture or if it's an unfiltered picture or a messy story, all of those things are the best and showcasing that you don't have to be this like either pristine, polished, aesthetic Instagram or this super open, candid, non-conforming Instagram and that you can be both of these things Mm. is something that's not actually that common online and something that I admire seeing in other people, which I like that about your page as well. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. It's so true. Like all of those parts of your identity are true and real and authentic. And it's not any less authentic when you have makeup on. It's not any less authentic when you filter a photo. It's the fact that you're choosing to do it is authentic. Like, yes, we talked about this authentic, you know, be your authentic self. And if your authentic self is the calmest version of you and your authentic self is this version of you. And you know what, if I'm being very real, my authentic self is impatient. That's probably what I would actually say and passionate. Mm -hmm. And I want so badly to change the world that I'm in a rush to get there. And sometimes there are these like slow practices in between that my authentic self jumps past those and my more polished reform, like professional and personal self really try and and work on that in a slower space. But my authentic self is in a rush and my authentic self is a busybody, and my authentic self is pretty impatient. And all of those things are true, but that's not necessarily aligned with what people believe is authentic. Yeah. Like our authentic selves are nuanced. I feel like that's the whole point. It's like our authentic selves don't contradict each other. The only people contradicting our authentic selves are like people on the internet. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I love it. Before this podcast, I'd love to share this. Before the podcast began, you were just like letting me know how it would go and and filling me in. And so I brought up David Chang, whom I love. And for people who don't know, David Chang is like the author. Well, first of all, he owns several successful restaurants called Momofuku. And he's also the creative director and like producer of something called Ugly Delicious on Netflix. And although it's about food, it's significantly more sociological. It's a lot about race, a lot about ethnicity. It analyzes like poverty mentality. It's really beautiful. And he talks about like, you know, being in America, he was the Korean kid. But in Korea, he's super American. He's like, my Korean is not even good. And what that looks like, and you know, he's like, my mom's Korean food that's happening in California is authentic Korean food, even if it's made with Californian ingredients. And I actually love his interpretation of that. And he did this one segment actually on his IGTV where he said growing up, he was really embarrassed that his mom would put the ends of chives or the ends of... um of green onions in like a shot glass or in, you know, I don't know that they had a lot of shot glasses, but in a small cup with water to grow them. And he thought, oh, this looks so poor. If anyone comes over, they're thinking like, oh, this is so poor looking. And he was so embarrassed of that. And now you have all these, I saw something the other day that was literally like life hack. You can put your green onions in a shot glass. I do that. I have them in, like we did that. Dario and I did that. I have them on my balcony in soil right now. I'm obsessed. Right now, me too, right now. And I remember thinking, 
who doesn't know this? Yeah. Which isn't fair to think, but I thought, who doesn't know this? And David Chang said, now you have all these influencers and all these people being like, life hack, you can grow green onions. And he's like, so interesting that this is trendy and hot now. But when I was a kid, I was so embarrassed of my poor immigrant Korean family putting chives on the windowsill. And what is authentic? Like it comes and it goes. And what is fashionable comes and goes. And instead of being so concerned with keeping up with what is here and what is now, you might as well just do what you want to do. Like you might as well just embrace it. And it's so interesting to think about that in terms of, yeah, clothing style or in terms of my adult braces, all of it. Everyone's doing it at one time or another. And there isn't this linear necessity to subscribe to. I really want to ask you what advice you have for someone who is listening and is in a state of self-reflection or finding their authentic voice or like on or off social media, just trying to be their most authentic selves. What are some strategies that you use to check in with yourself and make sure you're following a path that is most true to you? Thank you. That's a great question. I think your authentic self is different at different times. And as soon as you name that, and as soon as you accept that, it'll be better. My authentic self in college was being social, was being accepted in spaces. I was queer and that was like a huge hump for me to get over. And the normalization of being able to be gay publicly for me and going to social spaces and carving out like queer cafes, restaurants that were queer friendly, all of that to me was what I needed to be my authentic self, to be the truest version of myself And that was a focal point in my identity was accepting that I was queer, accepting that I was in a same-sex partnership and going in spaces and going in community places that aligned with that. That was what was most true for me then. And then when I was living in Mexico, what was my most authentic self was being that I was Canadian and that I was English and that I was, you know, an immigrant there. And all of those things were really true to me. And that was a community that I really like found and that I needed to, to be a part of. And now one of the largest you know, it's, it's that idea of this is what I prayed for. I'm so okay with being gay now that, you know, it, in public, I, I mean, there are those people out there, but there's not a whole lot of like anti-gay rhetoric from a policy or legislative perspective in Canada. And for the most part, it's a really wonderful place and a really safe place to be. But I do feel like anti-Semitism is a lot more prominent now. And so I'm so much more forward about my Jewish identity. And that's a really big focal point of my identity now, because yes, I'm in a same-sex partnership. Yes, this is the person I go home with at the end of the day and and all of that, but I'm also Jewish and I'm Jewish in a lot of spaces that are not always friendly to that. And that's something that I've been really recognizing. My authentic self, like, I mean, I was a vegan for five years. I need to tell you, I'm actually terrified to post a photo that's of fish or eggs to Instagram because I amassed like this vegan following that was like, we love your recipes. I still eat a plant-forward diet, but I was like, anxious she posted a picture once and I was like I don't want people to see that there's two plates and that there's fish on there because people don't know that oh I'm my gosh fish. and you realize like you don't owe people those answers mm-hmm. if something feels right like it probably is people always say if something feels wrong it probably is but I want to say the opposite if something mm-hmm. feels right it probably is if you feel like you want to share something I would recommend doing it I like reflecting on why I'm posting what I'm posting So I do write in a very small like planner and it keeps me accountable. I write three things that I want to accomplish that day. So some people have an app. There's an app called Habitly that's really good. I write three things. And one of them is that I need to see a human being who isn't shiny and who isn't work every day. And that can be on Zoom. That can be a quick FaceTime call. It can be whatever, but I need to speak to my dad or my grandfather or a friend or a cousin um, or a rabbi anyone else. And until I've done that, like my day is not complete. I need to be grateful for something. And usually like my posts are rooted in either gratitude or learning, which I think are my two like spheres. Mm-hmm. Um, and I take those off as I go. The other thing is you have to think about what it is you want to talk about and you have to recognize that you can talk about more than one thing. So for me, so much of it was oriented in food and it still is. I believe in food and I realized that, oh, I guess a lot of people started following me because I was vegan but I actually think maybe a lot of people were here because I just really believe in eating intentional food. And I still believe that way. So I'm still posting about farmer's markets. I'm still supporting Ontario farmers. I'm still talking about eating intentionally and nourishing yourself in anti-diet culture um, and making sure that like I'm not existing in a space that is fat phobic and unlearning that. And that's so important. Mm-hmm. And so that's still true, even if I'm not like posting vegan content. I'm posting Jewish content. I'm posting queer content. 
And then at the same time, like my dogs, there was a huge gap when there was no photos of my dogs. And I thought people, you know, this, does this really align with my blog? And yeah, it like literally does. I live with them. I share a house. They're my roommates. It matters. So I would say pick, my strategy is pick three things a day that you must do. Hold yourself accountable because when you're accountable, you're more likely to create content that aligns with who you are from a values perspective. My other thing is pick five things that are you, who define you. If I introduce myself to you and I say, hi, Shikai, it's so nice to meet you. I'm queer, I'm Jewish, I'm an activist. I love my dogs and I love my partner and I love local and sustainable food. Anything that falls in line with any of those topics really is quote unquote authentic. And then if there's something that's abnormal, out of the normal, you can call it what it is. But I think that you should share whatever aligns with your values. Yeah, that's so true. And I think a big part of being authentic in general and therefore being authentic on social media is surrounding yourself with people who allow you to be that self, like judgment-free. And I think that's something I personally was like recently really struggling with. I was in some like groups of people that were making me feel so small and so scared to be, to fully embrace myself. And I realized when I made that shift, when those people left my life, I was able to like I grew. I feel like I like took up more space because I felt like I was allowed to. And therefore I was more confident posting things on social media. Like there's such a, it's so important to surround yourself with people who allow you and encourage you to be that authentic self. I love people that are willing to just plug themselves in. We had someone who was amazing, who is Cree, come to our Cree black Jewish Shabbat dinner two weeks ago. And at the end of the day, when she was leaving, she had, she knew one person there. She came with a friend she said, it was so amazing to meet all of you. This is my Instagram handle. And then every single one of us connected with her. And now we're messaging each other about probiotics. It's magic. <laughs> and when talking about the idea of actively working on or unearthing your authentic self, it, I feel like it's almost a taboo to like honestly discuss the fact that it takes intentionality to develop authenticity. And what I mean by that is something that we talked about a little bit in the pre-interview is that we grow up literally being told how, like, how to be a certain way, how to act, how to, you know, what to say, like, please and thank yous. And we're forced into boxes and cages. But the truth is that it's normal to lose yourself or it's normal to not even know yourself in the first place because we've been told what is right and wrong literally our whole lives. So do you feel like you've always lived in your most most authentic self or did you have a period of exploration and self-reflection to develop that? I love this question because it makes me reflect on my own biases, which I love to be challenged. I truly believe that my partner's authentic self does not say please and thank you. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> but my authentic self expects it. And so there are so many times that I'm like, oh, <clears throat> like, thank you. And it's like, why don't I just accept that? Like, she doesn't really do all like the Canadian niceties. Like she's not Canadian yet. And it's, I love sharing that because there are sometimes that I think even I do it. I'm like, well, that's not polite. And like, you know what? I'm sure it's fine that if I pass her a glass of water, she's not like, thank you so much. But we do expect it and we do correct people. And maybe there's a time where it's like, okay, you know, that was all the way outlandish and you should correct it. But a lot of the time it's fine. But we say be your authentic self when your authentic self is elevated or when your authentic <laughs> self is like, like we talked about more calm and not necessarily yeah. the impatient version of yourself. I don't know if I've always been the most authentic version of myself. I think when I first found my space in the Jewish community again, after leaving for like a long time, I felt the need to be a lot more like hyper feminine than what I really am. And I think in like asserting myself as like, yes, I can be like a boss MBA and also be a woman. I went through this period of time where I was like really into like skirt suits. I, I don't wear heels. I don't wear makeup. I don't wear skirts. I don't also align with like dyke culture. That's also not for me. I am very much myself. And it took me a long time to not have to be one or the other. And this is kind of a superficial analysis of that, but it really trickles down to a lot more than just the way I was dressing. I was wearing like, you know, dresses to events when I quite frankly don't wear dresses. I'm comfortable in a pantsuit. I'm comfortable in kind of Oxford shoes. I, until this year, didn't say out loud that like I wanted to not wear a dress to my wedding. And people were shocked and they're like, but you're so girly. And I'm like, I, I get, yeah, that's a hundred percent correct. Every single thing online would indicate that's who I am. Mm -hmm. And that's not, and I think that was true for a period of time. I think 
I wanted to be able to celebrate being like a femme lesbian in a relationship with another person who was a femme lesbian because there's all these ideas of like who is masculine, who is feminine, all these like gender binaries. But I actually, it took me so long to be able to sit in a place and say, am I wearing this for me or am I wearing this for the idea of me or am I Mm -hmm. wearing this for business purposes? I think that I have been my authentic self for sure for the last like five years. And I think there are times, I love Dr. Benjamin Bader, who you may or may not know from like the University of Winnipeg and the University of Manitoba. Mm-hmm. He has a PhD in Jewish masculinities and he's a person of trans experience. And he talks about, he's like, sometimes I'm, I'm a trans man, but sometimes I'm a lot more feminine. And like, I'm also not the gender police. Yeah. Like I'm allowed to like this. I'm allowed to do this. And so I think being my authentic self really exists in accepting gray areas. And that's not something that people, like a space people are encouraged to inhabit generally. Like if I'm a feminist and I'm a woman, then I should be this way. Or if I'm this, then I should be this way. And it's so interesting because I have loved people that are younger than me and people that are coming out on social media. And I'm constantly learning from them because they're unlearning. And the the word unlearning, people always say, I'm learning so much. I'm learning so much. I will say that, yeah, I'm learning, but I'm unlearning a lot more than I'm learning at this totally. point. 27 for me, so old I am. 27 for me is deeply rooted in unlearning. And I want to call light to that because that has been the space in which I've been able to be my authentic self by unlearning the authentic selves that people applied to me. Like what you said about children and about rules and about structure. Thank you so much for coming on and being so open and so willing to share and to tell me and everyone listening, hopefully about you and your life and all of these nuances and being vulnerable. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is, I love speaking on podcasts and I love talking, but this was such an amazing, as soon as I looked at the questions, I was like, these are all so good. And I hope that people take away from it. I would love to connect with anyone online. That just reminded me, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Yeah. Yeah. My social media is the same on everything. I can't change my handle because the handle of the name that I would like to use is taken. I do just go by Jess, but you can find me online at Jessica E. Burke uh, on Instagram and on Twitter. And my Facebook is in Hebrew, Yiskalisheva, or in English, just Jess Burke. If you type that in, you can find me. I want to leave you with the fact that I really do think that your authentic self is different, like, you know, period to period and time to time. And that I hope that you're doing it on a daily basis. And um, I'm really proud of the work that you're doing. I think that your blog is amazing. I'm really looking forward to sharing your podcast. I I think you're going to do big, big things. Thank you so much. Thank you. 